When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Sox Beat podcast presented by CLNS Media. It's a leading online audio and video provider for Major League Baseball. I'm Chris Cotillo from Mass Live. I'm the host of this show. This is episode 223 on July 2nd. We have Jason Master Donato, the Boston Herald, here to talk about the London series, which I thought was some of the worst baseball ever played. Jason was there. He'll get into some more of that and, and kind of the, the bigger problems facing the Red Sox. But obviously, a lot to talk about this week. I think more than a lot of weeks. We have London. We have maybe a new closer the Red Sox are about to name. We'll find out more about that later today with reporters in Toronto. But it seems like Nathan Evaldi is about to be that guy. First, starting with uh, the London experience. Jason, take taking away the on-field product, how was the whole trip for you? Oh man. I mean, for me, I was awesome. I mean, I, I think, I think for the telling moment for me was when I got into Heathrow airport Monday morning, um, like exhausted, barely got any sleep. Those two games were so long. Right. Uh, and all the writing that we have to do after obviously in the travel and all that. Uh, and I saw a bunch of Red Sox fans boarding my flight to Boston and, and I thought, Oh God, they must be, you know, just tired and beat down after watching their team just get demolished. And they were, like, in the best moods. And they were like, yeah, we loved it. I mean, you know, there's some Yankee fans in our face and kind of screaming at us. But it was like, you know, we're the world champs. It's okay. We we just had fun. We we're so happy to be here. The event was awesome. It was, like, as cynical as Red Sox fans can be, and maybe it was just a small sample size that it was just, <laughs> you know, this group of happy people who got to travel to London. But it seemed like the people that were there really enjoyed themselves, even though – they lost and got uh, the crap beat out of them in, in two games. Um, people seem to really like it. And it, I, I think that says a lot. You know, I, I heard a lot different, differing perspectives from people who are actually in London, like from England. I got some emails from guys after a couple of stories I wrote um, today that they thought it was a little too cheesy. You know, there were moments where, for example, like between the third and fourth inning, one time they would have, um, a video on the board that would be like a sacrifice bunt and they would be like is this a a sacrifice bunt or b mm-hmm. you know uh an ejection and it was like so over the top stupid that like right. people felt insulted um and so they were kind of annoyed that it was a little too much uh mm-hmm. they won and he actually this one guy who emailed me made a good point he said um, it was supposed to be a home game for the Red Sox, but they also like participated in all the Yankees things. They they did the New York, New York. They did the YMCA. Yeah. He was like, I don't really understand that. Like, it, it wasn't authentic in that sense. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was cool, man. I, I mean, I, I think every, I think there was something for everybody to enjoy. It wasn't perfect, but there was something for everybody to enjoy. Yeah, and I think you know it's obviously towing that line between okay, we want to explain this. There's probably people in the stands that have no clue what they're watching. And then there's yeah. there's obviously, you know, the collection of people, whether they traveled, you know, from 
from here to go to those games, a special trip, or if they're big baseball fans in London, which there's obviously a collection of them, you know, is probably a little bit, you know, insulting in, in a way to them to be kind of explaining those things and, and whatever. But um, was the was the stadium, was it well done? Obviously, there's a lot of foul territory and some, mm-hmm. some quirks and stuff like that, and the ball was flying everywhere around. But um, what was your overall takeaway from the facilities? The, I, I thought it was great. I mean, the players were... Like, I couldn't believe how over-the-top complimentary they were because these are the kind of trips where sometimes you get players who are like, oh, you know, it's nice, but, you know, mm-hmm. we're tired and, you know, it's not perfect, uh, but but we're making the best of it. You know, there was none of that. It was actually like even Marcus Walden, who, you know, <laughs> blew the game yesterday and allowed four runs and has like a 10 ERA in the last month. Yeah. You know, some somebody asked him about the facilities. He's like, he's like, I personally love playing here. He's like, I, I thought, you know, it was it was an awesome experience. The, the field was great. They did a great job with the clubhouse with everything. And all the players said that that they, they really thought the turf. And by the way, the turf stunk. I and mean, if you've ever been like, and I mean stunk in the literal sense, like it was good turf. It just smelled mm-hmm. really bad. <laughs> um, if you've been like on a, a, a one of the the new turfs where they have the little rubber pellets. Mm-hmm. And it's 92 degrees scorching right. sun. It smells like a tire fire. Mm-hmm. It's, so it, and not one person mentioned it. You know, I thought someone's going to mention this because I was down there on the field before the game. I was like, this is horrible. This smells so bad. Like, yeah. it feels like, you know, I remember old soccer games when I was a kid when, when the, the turf would start like burning. And I was like, this is not enjoyable to be around. <laughs> but it was just compliments. You know, everybody thought it was great. They, they, they loved it. Like, I was happy that the 385 dimensions of center didn't really play much of a role. Um, you know, we could talk about the baseballs and the atmosphere and, and maybe there was something going on there. Um, but as far as the actual field, the presentation, like it was really cool. Um, and there really weren't any complaints as far as that goes. Was it like consistently loud throughout the game? It actually was. Yeah. And, and it, I thought it was louder than I've heard Fenway or Yankee Stadium at moments because yeah. there's more people. I mean, it's mm-hmm. 60,000 60, people. Right. Um, you know, the Sweet Caroline, I've never heard that song so loudly and so enthusiastically uh-huh. in, in both games. And the Red Sox were losing mm-hmm. both times. Yep. Um, That's the, yeah, when the home runs were hit, I mean, people went nuts. It, it was like you couldn't really – there were definitely more Red Sox fans than Yankees fans. But mm-hmm. there, was, there, there was way more cheering than booing when something happened. And you could, you could kind of feel the vibration of it every single time, which, which – from that regard was really special yeah well it sounds like you know, overall it was it was great for people who don't have a stake obviously as writers we root for good stories and either really bad or really good because those are both interesting and you got one of those things over the weekend right. um the games you know like i said two of the worst played games i think ever do you think that takes away from the product i thought personally i was thinking about it and thinking you know this might be the worst case scenario in a way for Major League Baseball to, to have this big showcase event and have two games go four hours, 42 minutes and four hours, 24 minutes or whatever they were. I mean, just just brutal. And, you know, people who, who work in baseball complain about pacing a game and all that stuff all the time. So to have this happen on that stage and have it happen in front of fans that, you know, may not be used to something like that. Obviously, cricket goes for for days <laughs> or whatever. But um, you think that took away from it at all that the games were were no. so. No, no. I, I think it's the opposite. I think it was like exactly like Ma- Major League Baseball, you know, got it exactly the way they wanted it. I think. I mean, you know, the telling quote for me was when I asked Daniel Levangi, the Red Sox pitching coach, after the game. I said, "Okay, I have to ask you, you know, 
there's we'll talk about the baseballs, the atmosphere, the conditions. Nobody can throw a curveball. There, nothing spinning. Um, everything's getting crushed. Was there anything about these conditions that you think contributed to that? And his response wasn't even an answer of the question. He just said, Major League Baseball wanted to put on a great show for the fans, and I think they succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, so something was going on. You know, there's whispers about the baseballs being a little bit different. Um, I think this is exactly what Major League Baseball wanted. They wanted a ton of runs. I think they would have been terrified if it was a one nothing game and Rick Porcello threw a shutout. Like yeah. that, that, that's not what they would have wanted to see. And people were out of there in two hours and 25 minutes. Um, you know, they barely sold any two foot hot dogs and it, mm-hmm. instead they got two extra hours to sell beer. You know, they, they got, um, fans that don't know anything about the sport who are used to cricket matches where the run differential can be 175 between one team and the other, <laughs> um, got more of what they were used to. They got 10 home runs, which is like, you know, make them so excited. It's similar to a home run in cricket, which is called mm-hmm. a six, which I learned this week. Yeah, I just um, learned, learned that right now. So <laughs> uh, so I think I think this was exactly what they wanted. Long games to sell more beer and to get more people interested, to do more things, um, a lot of offense. I, I, I think, and if you read the reviews in the English papers, most of them were pretty positive mm-hmm. um, of what they thought of the games. From From a Red Sox perspective, obviously – that was kind of the angriest that we've seen Alex Cora, at least probably during his tenure, and said everything was eye-opening and needs to go back to the drawing board. Like I mentioned, they're probably going to make a couple big moves here, whether that's a Valdi or, or maybe an outside transaction, whatever that may be. But do you look at these two games you know, from watching it and being so positive about the whole thing as an aberration for the Red Sox or just kind of a, a compounding of what we knew was already wrong with them with the pitching staff as a whole? Um, do you think that this was really, uh, does this stand out as just something completely as an outlier or as something that is meaningful for this team and where they stand? I think it's, like you said, kind of compounding of everything we already knew. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was worse and it was highlighted. It was like, even in this almost fake baseball setting right. where there's so much enthusiasm Video game stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's just so much going on that's that's different. They still got crushed. You know, like they can't yeah. win this kind of game either uh, against a team like the Yankees that that just out hits them and out pitches them and outfields them and and it's just better in in every facet. Um, what we learned is they're not any closer to being where they need to be. Um, the the signs that we thought we saw in Minnesota or or Kansas City, uh, for those mm-hmm. who, who were excited about that, or Baltimore, you know, when, when Vasquez said we're back, baby. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> the, <laughs> those, those were not real because when you go up against the Yankees, whether it's in Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, or London Stadium, it just reveals everything. And, you know, like you, you said, Alex Cora was angry. He was, but his his way of showing anger is, is weird because it was like, it was anger, but it was, in the form of over complimentary of a weird part of the Yankees game. Like for yeah. him to come out in that press conference and start like the first question he's asked about how they play. And he starts going on about how Carlos Beltran is like the Yankees best pickup and you know, all the things he's noticing and how they're paying attention to details. To me, what that said is this manager's run out of, uh, of ideas. Like 
he can't get his team to play any better. He's trying. He's doing everything he can from a coaching perspective to try to pick up on details, to try to find mm-hmm. advantages. He's getting beat by Carlos Beltran and, and whatever the Yankees are doing over there, and he can't get his players to do anything else. Like this is just who they are, and they're just not very good. Yeah, it was. I thought that was a very weird aspect. Obviously, he drops like as Chad Jennings wrote in the bingo board. He drops stuff like that all the time about his friends Carlos Beltran or some other people. But that was kind of a weird takeaway that out of this whole series, where 50 runs are scored and the Red Sox pitching staff looks as bad as it has in years, that that is the takeaway of this one guy who. Well, he's, he's like a special assistant, right? He's obviously not on the yeah. staff, but that, that he had everything to do with it was interesting. I think he tried to maybe paint it in a way where Carlos Beltran is, was so successful for paying attention to details throughout his career, and that's something that he has talked about all year with these Red Sox, that they have not been able to do that. They have not really one time uh, been consistent in doing that throughout the season, and that's something that has really bothered him, especially considering how good they were last year. Uh, right. Seen a couple... You know, time where he's been angry, but that was kind of telling to me that um, he just admitted it's eye-opening. They're so much better than us right now, and uh, kind of admitted that time is running out. I mean, 11 games is is pretty much insurmountable. I think in a lot of people's mind, with less than half of the year to go. Yeah. Uh, and I know you've you've talked about this probably even earlier than a lot of the rest of us that this is a they wild card team at best. Yeah, yeah, and you know. You look what happened last year. It's like everything went right. We know it, mm-hmm. it wasn't going to happen again. Their style of baseball was different than everybody else's. They were able to take advantage of the mo- kind of set the tone of what the modern game was going to be with launch angle and JD kind of teaching everyone how to hit and uh, everything like that. And then you look what the Yankees are doing with a guy at the top of the order who does not hit with launch angle, who has a horrible launch angle, um, who, who is a line drive hitter hitting 345, who's you know, hitting close to 500 with runners in scoring position. DJ LeMahieu is like the poster boy of what the Yankees are, that they mm-hmm. are ahead of the Red Sox. That It's not just that they're better. It's that they're doing the modern way of baseball. They are more forward thinking right now than the Red Sox are. The Red Sox are just repeating what they did last year. And the Yankees are trying to play baseball in a different way. And it's working. And we might see next year, you know, if, if this keeps going with the Yankees where Teams are going to look for players like DJ LeMahieu now. They're going to look for line drive hitters with low launch angle who, who are, uh, have great two-strike approaches, who, who don't strike out, who can push the ball the other way. Maybe that's the new trend that's going to happen because everybody's hitting home runs anyways. Uh, you need to do something a little bit different. I don't know. But what we're seeing from the Red Sox, like, like you said, yeah, it is a wild card team. I mean, 11 games. You talk to former players, and, and I remember hearing, uh, who was it? I heard someone on the radio the other day who who was uh, a very good player and blanking on his name, but he said, if you get to the all-star break, you're like six or seven games back. You feel okay. You feel like you have a shot. You get to the all-star break, you're 11 back um, and, and nothing's going great for you. There's no way they're going to win this division. And, and you look at the, the numbers, you know, Fangraph says they have like a 6% chance to win the division. I think it's even worse because they have no prospect capital. What are they going to get at the trade deadline, Chris? You, you know better. You're on top of this stuff better than I am. Who are they going to go after where John Henry says they're not going to spend much money because this, they already have great talent on the field. There's not much money that they could take on. There's not much prospects that they can move. What are they going to do? And then you can look at the Yankees. They're trying to trade Clint Frazier. They got yep. all this prospect capital. There's built all these in, big Built in, in very talented major league asset in Frazier already to go. So Yeah. So, I mean, it, it could be even worse than 6%. Like, this seems like, you know... I, 
bet all your money on the Yankees to win the division at this point, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as we approach the trade deadline, I think the last two days, what we've seen from John Henry and then from the news that came out last night with Evaldi, John Henry says that we're not going to make, you know, we're not going to add a lot of payroll, which kind of limits them. And, and even, you know, last year, you look at the moves they made, Steve Pierce and Nathan Evaldi, those weren't, Steve Pierce wasn't cheap. I think he was owed like three or four million for the rest of the year. Kinsler was owed some money for the rest of the year. Even those moves, as small as they seem, those guys were still, you know, making at least some money. And that mm-hmm. probably isn't possible this year. So that puts the Red Sox in a bind, as you said, because they're now talking about, okay, we can't add pieces that are going to cost us a lot. So then you're going to have to add what young pieces that don't cost anything when those guys obviously cost you a lot more in terms of prospects. I, I don't know, you know, who they, who they could move. Chris Smith, my partner at mass live, as you know, is very high on a lot of prospects. Think they thinks they could move, you know, CJ Chatham, maybe Michael Chavis, which I don't see them moving Chavis. At this how, point. how could you, he, he's, yeah. you need him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. They've called up all their guys for yeah. that, that are even close to being ready. You know, Chavis wasn't ready. And this is, this is what we've got, an unfinished product who's actually contributing. I think Darwin's and Hernandez is going to be here soon because right. now if they're actually going to put Ivaldi in the bullpen, they need to, you know, Johnson's hurt again. Um, wait, is Johnson hurt? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he's got the off the field. We don't, we don't know exactly what's going on. Right. There's something, some kind of issue with him. Um, they're desperate. So they're, they're going to have to reach into their farm system and go get guys. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it almost doesn't seem worth it to me at this point. Like you, you look at the way that they've played, the problems that are mounting up, know the extent of whatever has been going on with David Price's arm, where he's been mm-hmm. pitching through something. It, it, this team is all price and sale right now. They can't win without those two being healthy. So it's like, doesn't it seem like it might be worth looking at selling to, to just take around and, or take a look around and see, okay, what, just what could we get if if we if we wanted to trade Jackie Bradley or or, or Rick Porcello or, or you know is it is it worth trying to rebuild and start looking towards next year? Not it's not looking five years from now, but just look towards next year. Yeah, I think I, I just don't see it yet. You know, and I know a yeah. lot of people are pointing toward that. I just for me, it's like they committed so much to let's run it back, and they still, you know, if they still really do have the belief that this team can win the World Series, then you know maybe they they try to stick it out or add some complimentary cheap pieces however they will do that i think one thing that is possible is you know the the good old-fashioned baseball trade maybe where you go out and you, you try to trade i don't know it's, it would have been a lot easier if Valdi was still in the rotation to trade someone like rick porcello and try, try to send him off and get something in return just to shake things up or something obviously mm-hmm. you know porcello is a big piece of the clubhouse and we all know that but it's just they're they're in a really sticky situation overall as we approach the deadline and one that you know they're they're looking at making moves and and obviously uh, the big one is this Evaldi move and to to catch people up last night Tom Karen first reported it and I was able to confirm it with some people that the Red Sox are likely to install Nathan Evaldi as their closer when he comes back from his elbow injury which has taken a lot longer than anticipated the talk was you know when he get hurt oh he'll be back you know within pitching and and six weeks or whatever and uh, set back with his biceps last month hasn't really you know seemed to progress that much in the last few weeks, but obviously the Red Sox think he's close. And now um, when he comes back, he will be that installed closer, that back end ninth inning guy that they have lacked all year. A guy they're paying 17 million a year to do so. And I think a lot of people look at that as a panic move and, and maybe um, one that takes away from your strength in the starting rotation. I think that's obviously a big criticism, a fair one too. Yeah. Uh, so here, here's my take on this. And, and, 
when I first heard it, I thought this is so stupid. What, what a dumb idea, total panic move. And then I thought more about it. And you know what? It is a panic move. It, it does signal weakness that they don't think he's going to be able to be a, a healthy, regular starting pitcher. It does signal that they might have made a mistake by giving this guy as much money as they did to be a starter over the next four years. And you know what? It's, I'm still okay with it because this is the time for desperation moves. This is the time. If you look at, okay, if he goes in the rotation and he's, let's say he is, you know, he's not going to be Nathan Navaldi postseason. That's what, 10% chance he just turns into a monster, right? Let's say he's mm-hmm. just the guy who gives you six innings every day, three runs, you get the quality start, six innings, two runs, whatever. That, that can help your team. But then the bullpen's going to blow it anyways because they don't have anyone back there regardless. I mean, it, it, I've gone back and forth in the last 24 hours. First, you mentioned betting on the Yankees before, so we have to do our wonderful ad about betonline.ag, which is stealing us's preferred online sportsbook. Now, new offer. We have an extra 50% added to your online sports betting bankroll and your first ever deposit at betonline.ag. You can simply use the promo code CLNS50 or CLNS100 while making your initial deposit, and your 50% bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. You can score up to $1,000 worth of free plays from this one deposit. Obviously, baseball season's in full swing. I don't know if you, if any of you guys bet the over-under over the weekend. You should have taken the over very clearly, and if you didn't after game one, Game two, you definitely should have won after 30 runs. But um, because you're loyal listeners of the Red Sox Beat podcast and CLNS Media, we're giving you that extra 50% bonus. CLNSmedia.com backslash SoxBeat. That's S-O-X-B-E-A-T. And use the code CLNS50. Minimum deposit of $25 is required to qualify for the bonus. And please see betonline.ag. That's like Attorney General. See their general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. Back to the Evaldi talk where I don't know if we can bet on how many saves he's going to have or how long he'll last in this role before he gets hurt, whatever. But, um, you know, I think I think it's definitely, in a way, a panic move for the Red Sox. It's something yeah. that, as of a month ago, and I, I found the quote last night and retweeted it from asking Alex Cora on June 5th. I said, you know, what what are, that was in, in Kansas City, I believe, you know. Someone had asked him, is there any chance you're going to bring Evaldi back in the bullpen when he returns? And he said, no, there, there's no shot of that. And um, three or four days later, someone, it was he went on WEI and went on uh, OMF, and, and Marloni asked him, is there any chance of bringing Evaldi back in the bullpen? He goes, ah, as of right now, no. And it was just a little bit of a shift in the answer where I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I followed up later that day, and he said, as I'm talking to you right now, uh, he's going to be a starter. And mm-hmm. I said, I said, okay, well, what does that mean? That, that, you know, that could things change? Are, are you at least, is there at least like a 1% possibility? He goes, there's always a chance for everything, right? And like laughed it off. And I thought mm-hmm. at the time, I thought, oh, that's a little bit of weird. That, that's a little bit weird. That might be a shift. And obviously now it's something that um, they're going to, to clearly, it looks like they're doing and, and probably will announce officially today in Toronto. I think one piece of this that Pete Abraham brought up yesterday on on twitter was um evaldi was kind of adamant about not wanting to sign as a reliever during the offseason there was a lot of teams that offered him that role and thought of him as a closer and you know obviously we've seen starters get more money i'm sure once once the 68 million is wrapped up maybe his his perspective on this changes but he to do this has to obviously buy into this role and do you think that's going to be an issue at all a complete change and a guy for a guy who hasn't been healthy 
for a lot of points during his career. A complete change in role, complete change in, in preparation, everything like that. Do you think it's going to be an issue for him to buy in? There's two things here. One is if this were if this was still a John Farrell regime, we'd be saying, "Oh my God!" You know, who knows? Like, is he going to hate it? Is he does did he blow up at the manager like when he told him because Farrell just didn't communicate well he wasn't good at that part of the job of actually talking to his players every day and building trust and and having that two-way open communication Cora is so good at that that's his thing that's that's what makes him so great um is that he is good at that so when I look at this I I think there is clearly communication between Cora and Evaldi Somewhere along that line, it was presented to Avaldi, or the other way around, where Avaldi mm-hmm. presented it to him. Who knows? Maybe we'll find out the whole story uh, as this develops. Maybe we won't. But we can be sure that there was communication there because that's what Cora does. So there, somewhere, Evaldi thought, you know what? This is best for me. Um, and and where my arm is right now with te- with the tendonitis and coming back from this loose body surgery that was supposed to be nothing and, and an easy procedure. Um, where I am right now, not having to throw a hundred pitches might be better for my arm. And this is okay for me right now. Now, the only other thing, the second thing that I, that I was going to mention is he is the type of guy who will just do anything like, yes, he, he, absolutely. Cora will tell him to throw a hundred pitches today and 200 tomorrow and he'll do it. Yeah. So and we saw that in the world series, obviously. Right. So we, there is that component of it where did Cora present it in a way where Evaldi says, sure, I'll do whatever, you know, whatever to help the team. Um, and maybe after the year, he doesn't feel good. But I don't think because he is that guy who will say yes to anything, he's not going to do it reluctantly. Right. Yeah. He's not going to he's not going to say yes and then feel awful about it. He's going to do his best. So I don't from a mental standpoint, from a buying in standpoint, I don't think there's going to be any issue at all. You know, of course, he's going to want to sign as a starter when he had that option. That was his mm-hmm. time to to be free to do whatever. He's going to make more money. He wants to be the starter. There, there's a stigma. We know. But now it's at the point in the season and we know the, the type of guy he is. He just wants to win and he wants to do whatever the team needs. And if they convince him that this is what they need, I'm sure he's going to buy in and be happy to do it. I agree. I, you know, I think that that's his personality. There's other guys who are, are more high strung about that. It seems like, you know, a lot of these guys, some of the issues with relievers signing and, and not having that much interest is their unwillingness to bend from that ninth inning role or switch roles or do anything like that. I don't think that's going to be a problem, but it will be an extremely interesting storyline for, for everybody to follow in the next couple of weeks. And finishing up with this, you're high on Darwinson Hernandez just because you think he's you know, talented enough to be a part of this pitching staff right now. We talked about that when he came up and started against Texas. Um, you know, you you thought this is the kind of guy that, you know, give him a chance. You know, why, why not? And I think, you know, with Brian Johnson out, with Hector Velasquez not proving he can be a fifth, or a fifth starter every day. With Stephen Wright, they don't want to stretch him out. I think Darwinson Hernandez has a shot at, at getting that rotation spot. You know, maybe a little yeah. bit early, but at this point, what else are you going to do? Exactly. And, and that's why they moved him up to AAA, we know, to get used to the baseball, which is the same in AAA as it is in the majors. It's a little bit different yeah. in AA, to, to start preparing him for this. It, you know, if it was five years ago, we'd say, well, why don't we look at somebody else? Maybe, you know, a, a guy down there who, you know, Denji Reyes or, or, or you know, Mata or I, I don't know, somebody who's known as more of a pitcher who's known as somebody who can really understand the ins and outs of, of an at-bat and which pitches to use when and how to attack guys. That's not the age we live in anymore. This isn't that era. This right. is the era where 
you know, if you talk to Brian Bannister who, or, or anybody who's, who's studying the data, you need to throw 95 plus and you need to have a really big breaking ball um, mm-hmm. if you want to have success right now. That's what Darwinson Hernandez has. Yes, he's going to miss and he's going to walk three or four guys a game and it might be a huge issue. But Daisuke Matsuzaka had a two ERA doing that, you know, and, and won 19, 20 games walking mm-hmm. three, four guys a game. It can hurt them, but they don't have any other options. It's they're 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 out of options here. And and the opener strategy is so stupid for this team. And we've seen it over and over this year when they go with an opener or Josh Taylor or Ryan Weber and they get three innings. It's a disaster, not just for that game, but for the following day. Sets them back for a week. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you need somebody like Hernandez who can just go out, let him throw 100 pitches and see what happens. I mean, if he gets five innings there's a chance that they're going to be really good five innings. He, he can get big timeouts. Yeah. Does he look like a reliever more in the future? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. right now at this point in the season, this is like you said, this is desperation time. If all these going to the bullpen, this is desperation time. Um, you have no other options. I would absolutely give him a chance and see what happens. It sounds like it's definitely possible. A lot of shakeups coming. Like I said, uh, the Red Sox are in Toronto tonight. Um, we'll get a lot of news out of that. I'm sure. So Jason, thank you for, your uh, your reflections and very positive talk on London, which I don't think for a lot of Red Sox fans <laughs> was very positive. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point soon. All right, Chris. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks.